today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Almost a, you might consider, a rejection of intimacy. Now, if we look at it in the allegorical sense, again, of the church and of Christ, and we look at, again, times where, again, the Lord wants to have those times with us, we're just too busy. Man, I've got this going on. I've got that going on. I can't right now. And suddenly it comes to us, yeah, I I really do need to get back to the Lord. Man, we cry out, man, my prayers hit the ceiling, it's not there. And suddenly, man, I start getting wounded from the world. My strength is no longer there. And even as, again, they struck me, they wounded me, I look at that and I say, man, that's the world beating her up. Have you ever found yourself to be too busy for God? As Pastor David continues his teaching through Song of Solomon, he'll be challenging you to cultivate a deeper love relationship with the Lord. God desires to have intimate fellowship with you. And the sad thing is that there are times when the entanglements of the world may draw you away from Him. Though sin is pleasurable, it's only for a season. Don't allow the world, the flesh, and the devil to get between you and your relationship with Jesus. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 4, as he continues his message, Song of Love. I'm going to put you on the spot. Guys, when was the last time you told your wife, you've ravished my heart? Okay, I'm as guilty as you are. Okay, so he goes on. He says, my sister, my spouse. Now, she's not his biological sister. What he speaks about, again, is just the closeness, the the depth of their relationship there. My sister, my spouse, you have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, oh, my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Then verse 12, a garden enclosed is my sister and my spouse. A spring shut up and a fountain sealed. What he's saying there is her virginity is unspoiled. She has kept herself for him. He goes on to say in verse 13, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. Fragrant henna with spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Man, he is pouring it on thick. But I don't believe he's just trying to shine her on. I think think this guy is smitten. You know what I mean? I think he's just overwhelmed by this gal. Now it comes her turn. She says, awake, O north wind. O come, O south. Blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. I believe that's her invitation to come and let's 
consummate this marriage. Come unto me. Because he now speaks in verse 5. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. And then the second part of that, it's like now he turns and, and calls out to his friends. He says, eat, O friends, drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. And the reason I look at this this way is because in a, a Jewish wedding ceremony, which usually it's, it's a feast of about seven days, they really don't have a whole lot of seclusion. In other words, there are friends of the bridegroom that is pretty much standing at the doorway and once the marriage is consummated, once they become intimate together, the bridegroom cries out to his friend. The friend then cries out to the community, and the community celebrates. How does that make you feel, gals? But that's the very picture that we see here. She has invited him to come in. He's come in, and now he turns, okay, guys, it's time for the party. And so it goes on that way. And so now... The next night, I, I think this, this is either that evening or perhaps the next night, it, it changes suddenly. Look at verse two. I, the, and this is the woman speaking, I believe. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It's the voice of my beloved. He knocks saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. And so in other words, she, I believe that she's dreaming here and she dreams of him coming from outside and knocking on the door and trying to get in. So she calls out, she says, I, I've, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them again? My beloved put his hand out by the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him. So I arose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. She got there and opened the door. He wasn't there. She says, my heart leaped when he spoke. I, I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. So then she goes out looking for him. The watchman who went about the city found me, and they struck me, and they wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am lovesick. Let me pause right there and kind of, look at this whole scenario for a moment. In verses three through perhaps verses four or five, there's almost a, you might consider a rejection of intimacy. Now, if we look at it in the allegorical sense, again, of the church and of Christ, and we look at, again, times where, again, the Lord wants to have those times with us. And we're just too busy. Man, I've got this going on. I've got that going on. I can't right now. And suddenly it comes to us, yeah, I I really do need to get back to the Lord. Man, we cry out, man, my prayers hit the ceiling, it's not there. And suddenly, man, I start getting wounded from the world. I, my strength is no longer there. And even as, again, they struck me, they wounded me, I look at that and I say, man, that's the world beating her up because she's not in, again, in, in the vicinity. She's not in the intimacy of her beloved. She missed that chance, but... Again, we look at that and she cries out to her friends, hey, tell him I, I looked for him, but I couldn't find him, I'm lovesick. And then look at verse nine. So what is your beloved more than any, uh, more than another beloved? O fairest among women, what is your beloved 
more than another beloved so that you charge us. And in essence, I look at that and they're kind of doubting her and saying, you know what, how's he going to help you? What, what, what's the difference with him? And again, I look at the allegory of, of you and I as believers and we're, we're getting beat up by the world and we're crying out to the Lord and friends who don't have that relationship. Remember, it's the Shunammite woman that has the relationship with the beloved. Even her friends don't have it. And she's crying out to find him. And they're coming and says, well, what is your God compared to any other God? What, why, why are you calling out to him? You know, aren't there other things that you could do? But now she comes back and now she's gonna give a really strong testimony right here. Look at verse 10. I'll tell you what the difference is. My beloved is white and ruddy. He's chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of water washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with burl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. He said, so what's the big deal about your beloved? Let me tell you. When the world brings to you a doubt about who your God is and who Christ is to you, Are you ready to give strong testimony of the greatness of who he is? She didn't miss a lick, I don't believe. I believe that, man, she just went right at it and went right to them. Look at chapter six. Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned to that we may seek him with you? Do you catch that? Before they were saying, what's the big deal about him? Now she's given testimony of how great he is. Tell us where he's gone that we can seek him with you. Now they're back interested in him. And she says again, he he will come back. My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. And then she has this assurance. She says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Remember, this is the gal that at the very beginning, man, don't, don't even look at me I'm not fair. I'm all wrinkled by the sun. I'm nothing attractive. I'm not nearly as attractive as all the others. And yet, because of that continued assurance, that continued encouragement of her beloved, now she has been built up. Now she's got this strong assurance within her, her life. Says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. He goes to feed his flock among the lilies, but she knows he's coming back. And in verse four, here comes this confirmation of her assurance. Look at verse four. Now it's the beloved. Now he is responding. Oh, my beloved, you are as beautiful as Tirzah, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats coming down from guilt. There he is with the goat thing again. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which have come up for the washing. Everyone bears twins and none is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate are your veils, are your temples behind your veils. 
There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one is the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed. The queens and the concubines, they praised her. Let me stop real quick there. Verse eight, 60 queens and 80 concubines, virgins without number. That sounds a lot like Solomon, doesn't it? But do you realize that Solomon actually had 700 wives eventually and 300 concubines? That's why I believe, number one, that when he's speaking here, he's not speaking about his queens or his concubines. I believe that he's just saying, you know what? Among all these other women, man, you are the fair one. I believe that this could be very well be the first woman that Solomon married. Because again, the, the, just the passion, everything that's there that he's pouring out on this woman is just absolutely amazing. And he goes on to encourage her in verse 10. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome, as an army with banners. There's that soldier guy. He, you know, he's, he's now said that twice. Man, you, you look to me like a full regiment, man, all dressed out for battle. Uh, that, that, that's how excited he, it's a weird excitement that he might have, but yeah, that's what he gives her. Now, now she responds in verse 11. I went down to the garden of nuts and to the greenness of the valley to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. Before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. The beloved and his friends cry out to her now. Rather, that's a kind of wandering that she went out again. Don't know, but they cried out in verse 13. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return that we may look upon you. I look at it and I, and I think that those two verses, 11 and 12, is, you know, even though the relationship was there, even though the passion is there, there, there was a wandering of the mind or the, or the wandering physically for however long a time, we don't know. But now, not only her beloved calls out, but also his friends. Says, return, come back, come back, that we might look, at, look upon you. And now she calls back again. What would you see in the Shulamite as it were, the dance of the two camps. Now, in the dance of the two camps, I've read, I've looked, I've looked at a ton of different sources, and there's nobody that really has a good answer for what that dance of two camps is. It, was it a song that they sang during that time? Was it a particular place? They don't know, but apparently it's something very good in the midst of it. He goes on now in chapter seven. He responds to her. She's speaking in essence in humility. What would you see in me? And then in chapter seven, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter. The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skillful workman. Your navel is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Actually, it, it really says it, it lacks no mixed or spiced wine or drink. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about the lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pools of Hezbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses. When he says, there's just the royalty of it, the beauty of it. 
And you look at that, and now I believe, again, here comes a, 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 an intimate time that they have. Look at verse six. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. I believe that he's speaking about her physical delights. This stature of yours is like a palm tree, your breasts like a cluster. I said, I will go up to the palm tree and I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breast be like the clusters of the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. Again, we're talking about a deep intimacy that they're having right here. And you can read just about anything into that as far as their relationship. But again, they've come back together. The Shulamite now comes back, second part of verse nine. She says, the wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of the sleepers. And I said, and it says the sleepers. I think that really and truly, again, you, you, you think of this, they, they have made love, they've had intimacy there for a while, and now they just pretty much fall asleep together. Between the wine, between the lovemaking, they finally come to the point, man, we are just falling asleep together. I am my beloved, and his desire is toward me. And in verse 11, come, my beloved, let's go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded. Rather, the grape blossoms are open, and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off a fragrance and at our gates are pleasant fruits, all manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Now, rather that was a a trip she was planning or rather it was the dream she was having uh, as they laid there together, we don't know, but she's taking him out into, into the gardens and into the areas and she says, there, I will give you my love. Chapter eight, oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. If I should find you outside, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. Now you have to understand the Middle Eastern culture at that point in time. The men and women, the husbands and wives, they didn't interact romantically. Uh, Public display of affection, PDAs, they didn't have those. Now if you were my sister, I could come and I could put my arm around you and I could kiss you totally different. Remember the whole deal of Abraham and Sarah when Abraham again told the the Pharaoh uh, that, that no, she's my sister and he would go around and he'd play around with her and then pretty soon they're playing around got a little too intimate and he saw them out. Whoa, that's not your sister. And so again, that, that's again that whole Middle Eastern custom culture. And again, she said, oh, if you were my brother, man, we, we, we could have that public display of affections. We could come together even out in public. I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I would lead you and bring you again into the house of my mother, she who used to instruct me. And I would cause you to drink the spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. Then she calls to her friends there in verse three, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. This is the third time, the third warning. Be careful of, again, those sexual temptations prior and outside of marriage. Verse five, who is this coming up from the wilderness, 
leaning upon her beloved. Apparently, this is just a, a third person that's saying this. I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth that you who bore, that, that she who bore you brought you forth. So maybe the, he has a relation of, of some sort to her. And he's saying, what's going on here? And now she responds, but not to this question. She simply responds back to her beloved in verse six. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Guys, what they're speaking about there is, again, the, the, the power of love. And we, even when she's saying, set me as a seal, again, allegorically, the Holy Spirit has been placed upon us as that seal, that assurance. Verse seven, many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. In other words, they're not gonna sell the truth of love. This one here is labeled the Shulamites brothers. In essence, they're talking about a younger sister here. We have a little sister, she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. If she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. In other words, we're going to guard her. We're going to watch over her. The Shulamite comes back and says, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Harman. He leased the vineyards to keepers. Everything was to bring for its fruit a thousand silver coins. And then... To Solomon, she says, my own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand and those who tend its fruit, 200. In essence, all that that's saying real quickly is, I, again, in, in my own life, I was, I was who I was. He has all kinds of things. He had everything that he could hope for. And yet she made herself available to him. And again, as he came to her, he then began to cherish her more than anything else that he had. Her value as a woman, now as his wife, he valued her more than anything else. He comes back and says in verse 13, you who dwell in the gardens and companions, listen for your voice, let me hear it. And then she cries out in verse 14, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. I think she's calling him to herself again. Again, as that young relationship. Come, hey, come on, my young stag. Come back to me one more time. And I love how that ends that way. Again, that relationship that's built. I look at this and I see her as having a couple of times there that she's journeyed. There's been a couple of times that perhaps even in dreams, uh, she feared that she would lose him. Uh, I see at the beginning of this, uh, someone who felt that they were unworthy and yet his great love for her built her up, gave her great assurance. I see in that the great work of Christ in the church too. A true story of a true man and a woman, yes. But I believe also, allegorically, we can see it also, the greatness of the love of Christ for us. Amen. Open 
Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.